Hello and welcome to another episode of The Neutrinos Are Mutating, the science and film podcast from Manchester Metropolitan University, where we investigate the science fact behind the science fiction. I'm Sam Illingworth. And I'm James Redfern. And in this episode, we're looking at the 1949 film Passport to Pimlico, starring Stanley Holloway, Betty Warren, directed by Henry Cornelius and from the famous Ealing Studios. A British passport for Pimlico. Customs and a frontier post in Pimlico. There must be some mistake. No, there's no mistake. It all began during the great heat wave, when the discovery of buried treasure revealed that part of Pimlico was really Burgundy. That might seem unimportant, unless you lived in Pimlico. Sir James, what on earth is Passport to Pimlico about? Well, um, so it's, as you say, it's 1949, so it's, it is, I think, the oldest film we've looked at so far. And as you can imagine, is in black and white. Um, and just, just as you were reading those names out there, Stanley, Betty, <laughs> Henry Cornelius, <laughs> it kind of gives you a feel for, I think, where, where the movie goes. But um, So it's set in London in a place called Pimlico, which is a real place. Uh, which I'd never heard of before, um, but it's set just after World War Two, so it's kind of post-war, um, and essentially they find in this little town an unexploded World War Two bomb, which then explodes, uh, and it kind of opens up um, a cellar that's underneath this house, so that so the where the bomb kind of exploded lets them in, and there's lots of jewels and various things of of worth in there, but crucially is this piece of paper which essentially states that um let me get this right so it's edward the fourth left this bit of like well this house uh, and the surrounding land to charles the seventh who was the last duke of burgundy uh, and they kind of wander off this piece of paper and give it to this historian lady who declares it yeah this is this is it this is this is a legal thing and so that land is no longer british and becomes um Oh yeah, it belongs to the, this, these Burgundy people who don't actually exist anymore. So it's like a, a land from the olden days, which is now uh, part of Belgium, France, Germany, Luxembourg and the Netherlands. So it was quite a big place in the olden, like many hundreds of years ago. Um, but now this little town in London becomes theirs. Uh, and so they, they decide that they are going to move away from British law because at the, at the time, post-war, the rationing and you know it's it's a harsh time so they can take all those rules away they've discovered and they do um and the british government don't like them much because of what they're doing and so they kind of get this like berlin wall effect going on people are starting to throw food over it because they can't bring anything in anymore so there's parachuting pigs in there's helicopters of milk there's all kinds of craziness <laughs> going on and in the end they decide that actually the best thing to do is probably go back to being british um and then they all live happily ever after. Oh. It, rains, it rains on them in the last scene, I think. So it's uh, very British. Yeah. So what is this? Is this a science fiction film? Why, why are we doing this yeah, film? A good, good question. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it depends what you think of science. I think, I think a lot of people think of it as space, biology, all those kinds of things. But really, the study of people is also a science. And it, it's... It may be more of a social science as opposed to a natural science. Um, and some people may not even understand there is that distinction. But 
as scientists. We, I think we see it more than most, uh, but it is still a science and the study of people and places and spaces and all that kind of stuff is really important. And this is a, a film based on that kind of idea. It's, it's looking at a place that has changed in some way and it's looking how the people that live there respond and, and what goes on. So uh, I would say, yeah, it is, a, it is a science fiction movie. And I mean, the, the film itself takes inspiration from a true story, I don't know if you know this, um, of Princess Juliana of the Netherlands, who during World War II was about to give birth to um, a daughter who would then be the heiress of Netherlands. But she was in Canada at the time. Um, I guess she'd been evacuated there. And she was in a Canadian hospital. And so this Ottawa hospital was actually changed temporarily to a Dutch territory in order for the daughter, um, Princess Marguerite, to be born as a Dutch when national. Like wartime? During the Second World War, yeah. She cannot imagine. So, so like, <laughs> if that to have happened legally, they must have... Can you imagine? They're like, trying to get that through the House of Parliament now. Like, oh, when, can we just when, change this hospital? When this, film, when this film was released in America, they exported a load of British soil to the front of the cinemas. Yeah, I like that. And then insisted on people showing their passports to come into the cinema, which was, you know, very, <laughs> very interesting way of marketing. You can find out more as well as previous episodes at tnampodcast.com. So we're joined now by Dr. Steve Millington, Senior Lecturer in Human Geography at Manchester Met. Hi, Steve. You all right? So, Steve, for what 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 is human geography? Well, dear, that's a can't <laughs> say that word. So cut that. Um, okay. Uh, well, human geography. Well, if, if people don't know, geography is quite an unusual discipline in the sense we've got physical geographers who do natural science on volcanoes and glaciers, and then there's this other side of geography, which is social science, which is a human geography. Um, now, people might not expect those two things work together, but actually geography is about the study of human and physical processes which uh, affect the environment and vice versa. So we look at people, towns, cities, my colleagues, looks at mountains, rivers, volcanoes. Um, human geography in itself, it's quite a, a dynamic discipline, uh, you know what? You know, in terms of social sciences, it's been at the cutting edge of new theory development over the last twenty, thirty years, uh, and it, it's such a wide area. Uh, I mean, specifically, what I look at. I mean, if you look at the research I'm doing, it, it can be quite applied. So I've been working for a couple of years on town centre regeneration, uh, place management, place development. Um, and how that might be managed in a better way. Uh, uh, but also, then I've done more esoteric research, which is a, a looking at the relationship between lighting and place and the illumination of cities, decorative, functional. Was, was some of that research Blackpool illumination, Steve, Blackpool, as well? Blackpool, yeah. Well, but actually, we're going there again on Sunday. I'm to going to Blackpool that. on Sunday as well. To do more field work <laughs> up there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, cut a long story short, I mean, Blackpool has been running these illuminations for 100 years. Uh, and I quickly understood that where they put pretty lights up, it extended the season and, and brought more tourists in. But it, what you find in Blackpool, I mean, what people don't 
many people don't realise all the lights are designed, manufactured and maintained by the local council. Mm. Uh, so it's not corporatized and it doesn't really speak to kind of international design or aesthetics. So it's very much within a regional vernacular. I can say very much it doesn't cater to aesthetics. No. <laughs> but, but there are some like McDonald's ones and stuff though, aren't yeah, there? But that's so like, every now and then they throw yeah, in. Yeah, there's a little bit of it. I mean, we did have that conversation about is there an opportunity to get more corporate sponsorship yeah. in? And they talked to us about they used, um, they, they created some fiberglass My Little Ponies. <laughs> and they illuminated them. They're really popular with kids. <laughs> And they said, well, did you not get like sponsorship of Hasbro? And they went, no, we had to pay them a license fee. To, oh, to wow. Use yeah. So it's not, it's not commercial, but it, it's hugely popular. Three million people will go and see the lights this year. Wow. And um, so what you get in Blackpool is, it, it, I mean, it, it appeals to tradition and nostalgia. And that's why people go every year and have fun. And it's not easily understood that emotion is people having fun yeah absolutely and, um, so, already you've touched on two key elements here this is already the most northern podcast yes. we've ever done which is, <laughs> which is which is fantastic and also this relationship between um the physical sciences and the social sciences and maybe the divide or not divide that's in human geography versus physical geography is I mean, I, I personally can see that there's actually a lot of overlap there mm -hmm. and that there's some quite nice Venn diagrams. But is, is there ever a bit of a, a rubbing up against each other with the two disciplines? Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, it's interesting if you go to the Royal Geographical Society conference, it's effectively become a human geography conference and the, the physical geographers seem to go elsewhere. Mm. But in terms of, you know, teaching practice, it's... It, we think about. I mean, what what I mean, what's interesting? I mean, there's been a lot of you know new degrees around environment, and environmental management, and sustainability. Well, that's what geographers have been doing since the 1830s. Yeah, yeah. just a rebrand. It's uh, and you, you think of like you know things like climate change, um, and things like uh, you know natural hazards like you know volcanoes, earthquakes, tsunami events, and erratic weather events created through uh, climate change there's, there's a science to that and understanding that but you, th you think back to say the 2004 tsunami and it, it killed about 400,000 people mm -hmm. and this, this becomes a planning and management yeah. issue and about how we might manage and develop cities so they're they're more resilient and it's a perfect example of where the two seemingly opposing disciplines come together yeah. and I think you know with with that the, the relationship with humans and people and looking at again a northern angle something that's very much reflected in the film is this idea of in passport to pimlico is this idea of independence isn't it and yeah. that is something that is coming to the north to um to greater manchester with devolution and i imagine that devolution is something that's going to be hugely important to human geographers but for those of you for those people who don't know what devolution is could you just maybe just give a brief overview i know it's a massively complex subject yeah i mean, I mean there are multiple forms of devolution i mean the, be the best example is, is to think about is scottish devolution so scotland for the moment is part of the united kingdom so and it's reliant on the united kingdom for things like defense uh, and more strategic things but 
over the years, I mean, it's always had its own parliament in, in a form, but that parliament got more powers to make local decisions. Um, I don't want to get into a debate about subsidiarity, <laughs> but this is the idea. Like, if you think about Europe, for example, I mean, it makes sense to, to plan and, you know, environment responses to climate change at a European level. Absolutely. Because pollution, like air pollution, crosses national boundaries. It doesn't respect border controls. But whether you wanted Brussels to determine your local bin collection is really a matter for the neighbourhood and the local community. And it's mm. which level, you know, do you make decisions appropriate? So in Scotland, they've taken on tax raising powers. They've got a separate education system. And that's seen as important for reinscribing Scottish national identity. But there isn't an independent Scottish army. It's that's you know it, you know if the Soviets or the Russians invaded Scotland, you know, <laughs> this is you know got the nineteen seventies film definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, with a, a Russian aircraft carrier passing yeah. the Straits of Dover, it's you know and frequent incursions into airspace mm. from Russian aircraft. So there's so it's, it's devolution about taking certain elements of power and and budgetary constraints, but then having. Yeah. Um, relying on the larger country as a whole for certain things as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. With, with Manchester specifically, am I right in thinking that we'd have devolution, we'd be able to, we'd have a certain amount of budget that we'd be responsible for sorting out our prison system, our health care. Yeah, it's health and social care. Health and social care. Transport. Transport. Um, those kind of areas. And, and I think and having a big, a mayor as well or something like that. Elected mayor. An elected mayor. Yeah, which, when you think about it, I mean, it's interesting the number of, uh, former national politicians now <laughs> circulating around Greater Manchester. But this is the, uh, you know, you think about Sadiq Khan, elected mayor of London. He got 1.3 million votes. It, in terms of politicians, no other politician in the whole of Europe has amassed that many single votes mm. in history. So, in effect, he is, he can claim, I, I've got a mandate. Absolutely. Uh, and the most powerful mandate ever in democratic history. And in, in, in this context, what would you mean by mandates? Oh, well, the people have voted and given me, you know, the power to act in the, to represent the people, 1.3 million people. You think about how many people voted for David Cameron. Well, the people in his constituency, yeah, about 20,000, 30,000 people. The only other person who amasses more votes is the President of the United States. I think in the, in the film, in Passport to Pimlico, you know what, what what really interests me is these these tensions between the people in Pimlico and the people outside of Pimlico, and throughout the film how that those tensions fluctuate. Do you think that, in my opinion, the film actually was almost science fiction in a way, in that it kind of predicted or gave some indication of what a devolved state might look like? within the country. Do you think it was a reasonable representation of that? Or, I mean, obviously I know it's a comedy, but I thought it was quite insightful. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fantasy, I suppose. It's a utopia. Yeah. Um, you've got to, yeah, I mean, it is it is prescient. I think that's why it, that, that film resonates. It resonates with things like Brexit, devolution, and austerity as well. And, um, but you've got to remember the context of the time. You know, this was a time of rationing. Mm. You remember that the, the film opens with uh, 
uh, it's dedicated. I didn't think what the quote was. It's you know to the end of rationing. That was it. Dedicated to the memory of clothing coupons and ration cards. Yeah, and people maybe younger people probably don't realise that rationing continued right up until nineteen fifty four, as well as restrictions on consumer credit and you know loans and mortgages. People can get them, so people were living, you know, of a frugal frugally at that time and. Um, and you know what they created this space where they abolished rationing, which was the the independent state of Burgund Burgundia, yeah. <laughs> whatever it was called. Um, so there's that context around austerity rationing, and I think you know, and that appeals to British character. You know, getting through hard times. You know, resilience and all that. The other context as well is, you know, the year before it came out was the Berlin blockade mm. um, where, you know, the West Berliners were denied food, water. And here we have in this context, the British government, you know, surrounding a micro state. So it's that context of Cold War politics mm. as well, uh, which, which, you know, added weight to the film at the time of its release. Absolutely. And, you know, I think... You know, post Brexit, there was whatever the decision was. There seems to be factions of the United Kingdom that are almost very different in their mindsets. And for me, Passport to Pimlico is this, you know, like you say, utopia and this idea that actually, despite their different mindsets, people can still be united by the fact that they're humans and by the common good. You know, where they're parachuting pigs over the top of the brigade yes, and yeah. stuff helicopter <laughs> milk or something it's it's uh, yeah well there's a few things go going on there though i think you know the, it's around british national identity the characteristics of that around individuality like we'll do it our way mm. but it also captures and i'm you know that this ambivalence at the core of british identity that actually we nod to Europe in many ways. Like the, the opening of the film, it, 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 it tricks you into thinking you're on the French Riviera. It's, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> someone sunbathing on a terrace. There's jazz music and then a camera pans out and you're in this bomb damaged bit of London <laughs> and it's just a freak weather. Yeah. But if you think, you know, how many Brits live in Europe? Two million, is it? And then, you know, how many Brits have second homes or retire to Europe? How many go to Europe? on holiday we've, we've kind of like yes we want britain to be britain but actually we we look over the water mm. to the continent for food culture in many ways you know that's one of the affordances of being in the european union was it enabled that to blossom but there's there's a classic quote in the film which really captures that that in ambivalence around i think you know it was what i think it was frederick cowan one of the characters says you can't push english people round like sacks of potatoes. <laughs> and then another character, Jim, goes, English? And then Connie goes, don't you come that stuff, Jim. Uh, we're all, we, we always were English, and we'll always be English, and it's just because we are English that we're sticking up for our rights to be Burgundians. <laughs> <laughs> so that really captures that ambivalence. It's like you know, that bloody-mindedness. Um, so yeah, so it resonates across all those themes, you know, devolution, Brexit, uh, austerity, uh, freedom of movement, and it, and it be kind of. I mean, it's kind of interesting 
you know, about, about Brexit, I mean, people were kind of concerned about the idea of supranational government. So this is the idea that there are legal making powers above and beyond the nation state. So laws made in Brussels would apply yeah. in, 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 in the UK and elsewhere. And, and that gets back to subsidiarity that, oh, we want control of that. But the UK is is like a mini European Union mm. for Scotland, Wales, Ireland, yeah. <laughs> and has a you know so it's quite odd that people are saying you know let's get away from that, but actually we're at, the UK is a, a supranational state. Um, I don't know where the where the end where this all ends. I mean, do do, do does Greater fire Man and brimstone? That's well, <laughs> does Greater Manchester like the the Burgundians? Do they de yeah. do we declare <laughs> independence, a People's Republic of Manchester? I think I think we're probably just about chippy <laughs> enough to get away with it. So yeah, well, thanks so much for joining us today, Steve. Fantastic. Really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. If you have any comments, suggestions or requests, please get in touch using our email engage at mmu.ac.uk or our Twitter handle at mmuengage. So it's great chatting to Steve there about devolution, about Passport to Pimlico and how it is of its time a science fiction film. I think, I think we've made that argument quite yeah i think we're clear now happy that, that, that <laughs> listening to um kind of the complexities of it all there you do realize that actually there is a lot going on and just to study this stuff and i know, think you know something that, lightly. that you touched on is this thing that it is does appear to be cyclical mm -hmm. and that we're going in cycles and it'd be nice to be able to maybe learn from our past and you know to look at some of the scenes in that film where actually people put aside their differences and just realize that Actually, we're just human beings. Yeah, let's, let's get on with it. As Steve was going through the examples, you realise it happens a lot. You know, it's happened, and it probably will keep happening. People just don't seem to be ha happy in one. You can't. I suppose you. It, it would be very hard to please everybody at all times, but such is the state of the world, James. I know. So, what did we think then? Good film, bad film, good science, bad science. Oh yeah, I don't know. I think I, well, it was good. it was a good film. It was of its time, as I say, it's black and white, but it was a comedy. It was quite funny. It is pretty funny, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and we've seen much worse films <laughs> oh, than that for this much podcast. Much worse films than that. Uh, so I know I would say it's a good film. Yeah, I think it, I would say it's a good film. And given, you know, taking that it is a comedy, I think it touches on a lot of what Steve was saying, a lot of that human geography element. So I would say yeah, it probably is, um, comedy aside, and you know, kind of the comical way it's come about. It probably is quite accurate as well, I would say. So yeah, I'd, I'd go on with that. Good film and, you know, actually quite predictive science. Predictive well. science, yeah, yeah, let's go with that, yeah. Good good one. Okay, so thanks very much for listening. I've been Sam Illingworth. And I'm James Redfern. Goodbye. Goodbye.